So some interesting insights there uh, from Anya's talk, of course, and from people who work more empirically and who probably do field work in actual conflict zones. And I always think that their life is much more exciting than mine. Right? As a philosopher, what do you do? Field work? Of course not. You go to the library in the morning, and that's kind of all I do. And that's not really, really very dangerous at all. I once um, lived together during my PhD um, with an anthropologist who'd done fieldwork in Chhattisgarh in India on the Maoists, right? And I think when I talked to her when she came back from the fieldwork, um, it was a little bit exaggerated because it did sound suspiciously like an Indiana Jones movie, the kind of stuff she got up to. But and I would have so wished, you know, to do exciting work, but then again, philosophy, that's what I'm, that's what I'm stuck with, really. Right, um, so I'm going to uh, be saying something about drones today. And people are very worried about drones. They're getting a lot of bad press. Um, the military seems to rather like them, on the other hand. And um, so what I want to do is I want to say a little bit about the technology first so that we get a rough idea of what I'm talking about. And then I probably want to present a more philosophical take on issues in peace building that do arise from this particular type of technology. Um, though I'm going to focus on drones, um, I'd like to stress that I don't think that drones are necessarily unique in the kind of challenges and problems they present. I mean, in this war on terror, for example, people are very worried about drones. They are not really worried about special forces teams which operate in Pakistan or which operate in Yemen or which um, operate in many, many other conflict zones. I mean, the idea that this war on terror is entirely forward with an unmanned military or just with these bloody drones, um, it's just not true. I mean, there is stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, right? So drones, in a way, they're probably just the most visible, the most visible aspect of the war on terror, and that's what people are worried about. But anyways, I'm not going to talk about special forces or this kind of stuff. I'm rather just going to focus on the drones because they've received a lot of attention. So what is a drone? So I guess the correct term would be that a drone really is an unmanned system. More precisely, it's an unmanned aerial vehicle. Now, I don't like the term unmanned very much uh, for the reason that these systems are manned, right? It takes about 120 people to operate a drone, you know, to get it up in the air, um, to, uh, you know, to, to, to look after it, to operate it, to make uh, targeting decisions and so on. I mean, the idea that the system is unmanned in a way is completely wrong. So I prefer the term uninhabited. It's an uninhabited system, right? I mean, it's a kind of, you know, it's a very, very small difference. But, you know, philosophers do um, sort of get very, very, um, sort of very nerdy about their concepts and definitions and that kind of stuff. So I prefer uninhabited system. An uninhabited system simply signals that there is no one inhabiting the drone. There is no pilot inside the actual system. There is no pilot inside the drone who is flying the drone, OK? So uninhabited system, that's the, that's the term I'm going to use. But of course, if you use an acronym, it's going to be still UAV, right? So, but anyway, there we go. Um, these uninhabited systems, they're usually what, I mean, that would be the correct term in engineering speak. They're teleoperated, right? And teleoperation works as follows. So basically, these systems, they have a sensor suite. Uh, through these sensors, they can record images, uh, live images, of a particular um, situation, and what they can then, or what they then do is, they feed these images via, or they transmit these images via a satellite link back to operators, 
right? The operator can then view the images in real time that he receives via the satellite link on a computer screen and then can issue a command to a system, also via, which will also be transmitted via a satellite link, right? So satellite links with this kind of technology are very important. And obviously those states that have, you know, very good satellite capacities um, and very stable satellite links, they will be able to um, benefit the most uh, from these particular systems. Um, of course, I mean, the idea is really that the operator does not have to be close to the, you know, particular conflict zone in order to make decisions and in order to view images from the drone, right? I mean, that's what the idea, that's what the satellite link is all about. So you could be sitting in Nevada and New Mexico, and you could be viewing images somewhere from Pakistan in real time, and then you could make targeting decisions. You don't need to be present in the con conflict zone. By the way, just as a little anecdote, um, you have, of course, quite a few drone pilots in New Mexico, and these guys need to practice somehow, right? They need to be able to track vehicles, not lose a vehicle, and so on, you know, if they want to carry out these targeted killings. And they do practice on public highways, right? So you could be driving through New Mexico with your family, like we are all going on a summer holiday, right? And above you, you're being watched, and some guy is, you know, practicing steering the drone, um, following your vehicle, and so on. Of course, these drones that are used for these practice runs, they don't carry a payload. So you have nothing, you have nothing to worry about. But still, I mean, this is, this, I mean, it would make me feel uncomfortable if, I, if the eye in the sky was watching me somehow. Right. But so, you know, you have, these, you have these drones, you don't really need to be very close to the conflict zone in order to make targeting decisions. That said, these drones will usually be started um, for takeoff and landing by um, an operator who's somewhere close by. So you could have a guy in Afghanistan who starts the drone, the local operator, and controls the drone, what the military would call a line of sight link. Okay, that's kind of the first immediate satellite link that would control the drone. Once the drone is airborne, it's reached a certain speed, um, it's reached a certain height, everything could then be switched over. Um, to an operator in Nevada or an operator in New Mexico. And once they've carried out the mission, say in Pakistan, the thing flies back, it gets into Afghan airspace, the operator in Nevada or New Mexico switches back to the guy who controls the machine via the line of sight link and then will land it. Okay? So it's actually quite a complex process in getting these drones flying. Just, just as an aside, um, you also get a lot of um, debate at the moment about so-called autonomous systems. And those would be, I guess, truly unmanned systems in the sense that there is no one inside the actual system. It's uninhabited, but there's also no one controlling the actual system, right? So the system itself would be able to carry out certain missions without the assistance from an operator. And this quite often gets confused with drones. People are worried about drones, but they are also worried about autonomous weapons. There are some unmanned aerial vehicles you know, that are being engineered that would be autonomous, but I think it's important to you know, distinguish this question of teleoperation or the issues arising from teleoperation from the issues arising from autonomous weapons. With teleoperated weapons, there will be some, uh, someone sitting there making a decision based on the images he sees on his video screen. As I said earlier, the military rather likes teleoperation for obvious reasons. I mean, it protects service personnel from physical harm. But they also argue, well, look, I mean, we are not all bad. We can actually make better targeting decisions. 
because we have a rich sensor suite, we can, we can stay with the drone in um, the vicinity, you know, in a particular target area or in a particular kill zone, as they call it uh, in the US military, you know, for a, long, for a long period of time. We can say that we can collect loads of information and then we can um, decide on when to strike. Um, of course, critics of drones are saying, well, look, I mean, you know, that's, that's not really very nice at all. You know, the idea of killing by remote control, I mean, that's just somehow morally perverse. I mean, that's one of the um, criticisms that's sometimes leveled against drones. Now, um, I want to kind of present, I guess, a rather different take on drones and on drone technology. I mean, first of all, of course, I'm going to be more philosophical, but I want to look particularly at this issue of drones from the perspective of peace and peace building. And generally, what I want to do in this respect is to go back to just war theory. It seems to me on every weapon system, on you know, the use of military force in general, we can say all sorts of things about it, you know, empirical things and so on, but we must also develop a normative or a moral perspective. And it seems to me one way to do this is to go back to just war theory and ask what the just war tradition um, has or could say you know, about those kinds of systems. Now, most just war approaches, and there isn't actually very much on these new military technologies yet. There's a book coming out by B.J. Strasser um, called Killing by Remote Control, The Ethics of an Unmanned Military. It's out on Oxford University Press in a couple of weeks, which is one of the first uh, works really in this area. But there isn't very much yet um, on drones in just war theory. But I guess if you took the just war approach, you could really ask in a way two questions. You could ask a use ad bellum related question. That's very often asked. And use at bellum is usually concerned with the justification of war, right? What kind of wars are just? When is it permissible to use military force? When is it permissible to declare a war? And you could ask, well, you know, would you know, we see more unjust wars as a result of these new military technologies? So that's one of the questions you could ask. The second question you could ask is, um, look, I mean, we also have uh, the so-called use in bellum. Um, those are usually the principles that do govern the use of force, you know, once a campaign is underway, would these drones violate use in bellow principles? So you could ask these two questions. I want to ask a third question. I want to look at drones rather differently. And I want to kind of ask, in a way, a meta question that is somehow bigger than these use at bellum and use in bellow related questions. I want to ask whether drones, in a way, make it impossible or make it difficult to achieve the peace. Because it seems to me one of the key assumptions of just war theory is that the use of military force is only justified, prima facie justified, if it is aimed at peace. Of course, you can say something about self-defense and so on and so forth, intervention. Of course, I mean, these are all legitimate concerns, but it seems to me that the big concern behind all of this is really peace. War military activity is only justified for just war theorists. If you want to prevent a certain evil from happening, if you want to you know, preserve certain rights, but of course, overall, you know, rights are probably best preserved in peacetime, in, under peacetime conditions. And that's, of course, a kind of Kantian thought, in a way, which you will also find in John Rawls, or which you will also find in Michael Walzer. You know, if you have rights, or if you're committed to social justice internally within your society, it's going to be pretty difficult to preserve social justice if the kind of environment around you, you know, is very violent, if you have to deal with aggression and so on, if people invade your territory. So peace, I think, is sort of the big question for just war theory. Just war theory really aims at peace 
if it is serious about the value commitments that just war theorists really have. Now, in terms of peace, there is a very interesting discourse within just war theory, which relates to the so-called, which relates to the so-called use post bellum. And the use post bellum would really be um, an attempt to outline principles for a just post-war order. And um, there are two, two takes on it. One is a minimalist take on the use, uh, use post bellum. And the use post bellum, the minimalist take would merely say, all you need when you go to war, the kind of peace you want is negative peace, right? You want the absence of violence. That's why, in the end, you go to war. Nothing more, nothing less. And the best thing that you can achieve in terms of negative peace is a return to the status quo antebellum. That would be a minimalist, minimalist kind of approach. A maximalist approach, by contrast, would say that you know, you want to transform your environment. You don't merely want the absence of violence. That's not all you're aiming for. Rather, what you also want is you want to, um, in, in a way, overcome the preconditions that led to violence in the first place, right? So you want something more. So how would drones play out in this debate? Um, how could we look at it from this maximalist perspective, from this minimalist perspective? There's one general question, I think, which maximalists and minimalists would agree on that one could ask here. And that question would relate to whether these drones are somehow intrinsically wrong because they make the attainment of peace impossible. And it does not seem to me that that is the case. I don't think the drone is intrinsically wrong. It depends on how it is used. And it's not intrinsically wrong, in my view, because the drone is not specifically designed to be indiscriminate. And a drone or UAV is not specifically designed to cause disproportionate harm. Okay? If these systems do cause those kinds of harm, if they're kind of indiscriminate or if they are disproportionate, that is because of how they're used. Drones are not, drones are not weapons of mass destruction. So I don't think you know, they are intrinsically, intrinsically wrong. So it seems to me even if you're using drones, you can still come to a peaceful settlement. Okay. You could argue, of course, weapons of mass destruction, you know, their effects are just so pervasive, um, they are just so indiscriminate, they are so bad that it makes the attainment of peace impossible. It doesn't seem to me that this is the case with drones. So what would these two camps say on this? Um, the minimalists and the maximalists, what would they say? Well, I think the minimalists would probably rather like drones. Um, so minimalism really stresses as a value commitment, you know, an idea of non-interference and self-determinations. Military campaigns in order to achieve peace should stop a threat, but that's it. You don't want more. You should stop the threat, um, you should uh, stop the threat basically, and then you know, withdraw from the community you're engaging with for the sake of communal integrity, for the sake of collective self-determination. Of course, you could say from this perspective, the, excuse me, the drone is a jolly good idea, right? You're not doing very much, you know, you're just going there, you're taking out the bad guys, as it were. And you know, compared to other things you might do, invade, occupation, and so on and so forth, you're not doing that. You know, you're just going in there, you're taking out the bad guys, and that's it. You don't need large-scale reconstruction efforts, and so on. The US always says in the war on terror, it's not uh, going to war against the people of you know, a particular society. And you know, if it doesn't have a problem with the people, just take out the bad guys, and that's it. So I guess minimalists would rather like this kind of drone approach, or the you would like a campaign that relies on unmanned aerial vehicles. Now, it seems to me that that is rather problematic, um, to be honest. And I think the whole mini minimalist um, approach is, in a way, just, um, is just wrong. 
I mean, and the main point I want to stress here is that there's really no guarantee for these minimalists who just want to aim for negative peace, that although you temporarily have you know, fought, fought off a certain threat, the same threat won't arise again. You can take out all the bad guys. The bad guys might die, but the ideas and the preconditions that gave rise to the bad guys, they might not die with them. So it's a very kind of short-term short -term thinking here. And it, it seems to me that this whole stress or the whole emphasis that minimalists place on you know, going back to the status quo antebellum in a way, just taking out the bad guys, minimal interference with these societies, that that really does not work out. Maximalists, I think, would be much more critical of you know, the use of these unmanned aerial vehicles precisely for the kind of reasons that I just mentioned. There would be a K with unmanned aerial vehicles or a campaign that relies on these remotely piloted aircraft you know, if this is used as part of a broader strategy. That would be the American strategy for, oh, sorry, the British strategy, for example, in Afghanistan. So the Brits are saying, well, look, I mean, we don't really, target, uh, we don't really carry out these targeted killings and, and so on. We don't do that. But you know, if our troops are under fire in Afghanistan, we call in a couple of drones, just as we would you know, you know, call in a jet fighter, just as we would call in a, a tornado fighter jet or something. And maximalists could say, well, you know, that, that really isn't a problem if they're just part of a, you know, a broader military campaign or broader military strategy, military strategy, that's absolutely fine for us. Um, that's just no problem at all. Um, you know, the use, as I just said, of these machines is not intrinsically wrong. And if it's accompanied by these other things, uh, you know, a broader engagement with those societies, that's absolutely fine. So I don't think for a maximalist these drones would raise any distinctive issues if they're embedded within this broader context. Now, of course, I mean, the minimalists could reply to this and say, that's all fine, but we rather want, just want to stick with those drones. Because what you want to do as maximalists, you want to start transforming societies. And, you know, transforming societies is very costly. It takes a lot of manpower, and it's very, very difficult to achieve. You know, the kind of positive peace you want to build that these drones are somewhere a part of, you know, that's very, very difficult to achieve. So we should probably rather just rely on these remotely, remotely, you know, piloted aircraft. We should kind of, you know, conduct our wars by remote because, you know, the alternative would just be too expensive. It would just be too costly. So let me sum this up and let me finish. Um, that's, you know, it seems to me that this debate between maximalists and minimalists, which is going on in the use postbellum related debate in particular in political philosophy, really illustrates a tension within the US counter counterterrorism strategy, or generally a tension we're going to face anyway uh, in, in, in the future in military affairs. On the one hand, um, you say, well, look, I mean, you know, as much non-interference as possible, minimize your interference with these societies, take out the bad guys, use an unmanned military or an uninhabited military to do that, and, you know, jolly good. That's problematic, as I said earlier, simply because it's short-term thinking. It won't deal with the threat properly. It takes out the bad guys, but it doesn't do much more. It doesn't necessarily lead to a lasting peace. Of course, on the other hand, if you look at these maximalists who want to do more, that's very problematic also. Um, you know, we've seen it in Afghanistan, we've seen it in Iraq. It's very, very difficult to pacify these societies or to pacify other societies and to build a lasting positive peace. So I probably have to end on a slightly more pessimistic note uh, than Anya. 
and say, you know, it doesn't probably look terribly good for peace. Or, and our strategies for building peace, whether they are maximalist, whether they are minimalist, probably would have to be rethought in light of what has happened over the last one or two decades or so in order to deal with some of the challenges um, we're going to face in the future. So thank you for your patience.